Awesome. Well, hey, this morning we are in for a real treat because we have some friends who are in the house. Pastors Bayless and Janet Conley are here with us this morning, and we are thrilled to have them. They're not strangers here in the house because they're actually good, good friends. And how many know it's good to have good friends in your life? Pastor Bayless and Janet have just been wonderful friends to my family personally, but also to our church. And not just friends, but also advisors to our church. And we are so grateful for their friendship, the guidance, the wisdom that they provide for us. And today, we're in for a treat because Pastor Bayless is coming to share. He's the founding senior pastor of Cottonwood Church in Cyprus, and we are honored to have him this morning. Pastor Bayless, would you come and share? Can we give him a big, big Bridge Church family welcome today? It is good to be back. I'm actually kind of stuck on something that happened in the church news there. A couple of times, I don't know if you noticed, they, they stuck out a bottle of dad's root beer. I didn't even know they made that anymore. I haven't even seen one in two decades. So I'm going to stop thinking about root beer and uh, I'll get to the message in a moment. Uh, we really do love the bridge. Cottonwood Church is a sister church to you guys. We're connected in heart. We talk with, with your pastors all of the time, and uh, <clears throat> it goes beyond just a ministry connection. There's, there's a heart friendship there. And I've been praying about what to, to share with you today, and I, I have a really simple message. If you have a Bible with you, you can open to John chapter 4, or uh, open your device to John chapter 4, and I'm going to be using a couple of different translations throughout the message today, but I want to begin reading out of the New Living Translation. And we open this up, and, and it's the story of Jesus at the well of Sychar. He sent the disciples away into town to buy food, and while Jesus is sitting on the well, a lone woman comes to draw water out of the well. She's a Samaritan, and the Jews basically had no dealings with the Samaritans. They were the people that had intermarried with the, the tribes of Canaan, and most of the, the Jews looked at them as sort of half-breeds, and they, they avoided them. But Jesus is there and strikes up a conversation with this woman and eventually reveals himself as the Messiah to her. But there are some things he said to her that I want to look at today. Beginning in verse 10, it says, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Some translations say it's a well of water springing up into everlasting life. This, this fountain, this spring that, that gushes up, that bubbles up into everlasting life. And there's several words in the New Testament they can be translated as life. In fact, there are. One just means physical, biological life. Uh, another word refers to soulish life. Another word means manner of life or behavior. But there's one word that sits at the top of the heap in importance. And that's the word that's used here. It's the Greek word zoe. 
It means eternal life. The God kind of life. Life as God has it. When a person embraces the gospel and says yes to Jesus, the the life of God literally invades them and changes them, makes them into a new creation in Christ Jesus. It's the life of God that causes us to be born again, literally regenerates our spirit, the core of our being, and makes us fit for heaven. The nature of God is imparted to a person in their spirit when they're saved, and that is called receiving eternal life. Zoe, the life of God. Now listen to these verses. In in John 5 and 26, Jesus said, As the Father has life, Zoe, in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life, Zoe, in himself. So this, this thing, eternal life, that Jesus said would be in us, this fountain or this spring bubbling up, it's the same life that the Father has. It's the same life that the Son has. Jesus said in John 6, 47, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. As a present tense possession, they have Zoe, they have the life of God. They're not hoping to get it, you know, one day when they die and go to heaven. But the one that believes on him has Zoe, has the life of God. And I bet you know this verse, John 10, 10. Jesus said, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life. Zoe, the the life of God, and have it more abundantly. So when I got saved, I received the life of God, and now it's in me like this well or this, this spring of living water that's supposed to gush out and literally affect every area of my life. And here's just some ways, not everything, but just some, some ways that the life of God does affect us. First, I mentioned it. It's in our spirit. It changes us. Literally makes me fit to go to heaven. Makes me into a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I enjoy the life of God in my spirit. But did you know that it's also the life of God that heals sick bodies? Whenever God heals, he does it by an impartation of Zoe. It's through an impartation of his life that God heals. I mean, think of this. In Revelation chapter 11, you probably are familiar with it. The two witnesses from God come and begin to testify And eventually the beast kills them. And they leave their dead bodies in the street for three and a half days. And all the world rejoices because their enemies are defeated. They send presents to one another. But after three and a half days, it says the breath of life from God, the breath of Zoe came into them and raised up their dead bodies. Their dead bodies came to life again. Now, if the life of God can raise up a dead body... It can certainly heal a sick body. You know, one day, the last part of our redemption, we'll get glorified bodies like Jesus' body. It's been laid to our account. Right now, we're living in these death-doomed bodies. We have this treasure, but it's in earthen vessels. Have you noticed, maybe you haven't looked in the mirror lately, but have you noticed that your body is growing older and that gravity is having its effect in certain areas? Oh yeah. 
less hair than you used to have, your hair is white, your hair is gray, um, your physique is changing. Th these are death-doomed bodies. But one day, we'll get a resurrected body. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he will die no more, and the same will be true of us. But you know what? When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, describing that event, he said, death will be swallowed up by life. Zoe. What is it that turns these death-doomed bodies into resurrected bodies? It's the life of God. The Zoe of God is what accomplishes that. Well, it can certainly heal a body that's sick. The life of God also can affect our minds and bring us peace and tranquility. In Acts 3.15, Jesus is called the Prince of Life, the Prince of Zoe. In Isaiah 9 and 6, he's called the Prince of Peace. Romans 8 6 says to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It's Zoe and peace. The life of God also can affect our minds and bring us peace in troubled times. It is life as God has it. It is abundance and fullness touching all areas of our life. In fact, Romans 6 and 4 tells us to walk in the newness of life. Zoe, walk, experience it in your daily walk. His life can and should change things for the better for us, spirit, soul, and body. And that, that well, that spring of Zoe, the life of God, is in every believer. Which brings us to a question, really important question. If there is a spring or a well of life within the heart of every believer, why then are so many Christians defeated and discouraged? Why isn't that life spilling over into our families and affecting our loved ones? Why isn't it, you know, rising up and dominating when temptation rears its ugly head? Why is, it not, why is it not pushing out sickness and despair? Why, why is it not, not affecting our, our marriages? Why are we not experiencing the benefits of this incredible life, life as God has it, that He's deposited in our spirit, that can heal, that can bring peace, that regenerates? Why do we not see its benefits? Well, because just like with a natural well or spring, you have to draw the water out. <clears throat> you know, that woman at the well was very observant. Sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, and the well is deep. The, the water's there, but you have to draw it out. That living water resides in your spirit if you are truly saved, and it can potentially meet any human need but it has to be drawn out. That life of God has to be released. And I just want to talk to you for a few minutes about one of the main ways that you release the life of God in you. One of the main ways to draw that water <clears throat> out of the well. Are you ready? All right, if you've got your Bible, Isaiah chapter 12. The verses we're going to read speak of Isaiah as he looks prophetically forward to the era that we're living in, to the day of salvation, 
to the day of Christ's redemption. So Isaiah, looking down the corridors of time, prophesies about us and the day we're living in. We pick it up in verse 2. It says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Many people have no life because they have no joy. They have a well that's bubbling and springing up within them with the very life of God in it, but that life has never reached their mind, it's never touched their body, it's never spilled over into their marriage, it's never impacted their family, because they don't rejoice. The bucket that brings the life of God up out of the well is called joy. You know, there's a verse, Isaiah 64, again, pointing forward to our day. In fact, the verse prior to it does as well. But in Isaiah 64 and verse 5, speaking of God, it says, you meet the one who rejoices. God meets the one who rejoices. I had an old friend, his name was George Stormont. He was an Englishman. We used to bring him to preach at the church quite often. George had pastored um, throughout the 1930s and 40s, throughout the Second World War in England, his church was bombed and flattened, you know, during the Blitz, Blitzkrieg raids. And then later on, he moved to the U.S. And, and spent the last 25 years of his life pastoring in Duluth, um, Minnesota. And he, he became a dear friend. He, he came from Pentecostal roots, and he had this rich baritone voice. And he shared a story with me one time that I will never forget. He said, Bayless, I was in a meeting with, with Howard Carter. Now, if you're not familiar with that name, Howard Carter founded what I, I believe was the oldest Pentecostal Bible school in Europe. And he gave us the definition for the gifts of the Spirit, explained them in a way that, that most people that believe that the gifts are for, day, for today, that they use the definitions that Howard Carter gave to the world. It was a revelation he got from God. And Howard Carter and his wife they both seem to have this, this gift from God, this touch of God on their life for getting people baptized in the Holy Spirit. Seems like almost everyone they prayed for was filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. Said, and I was in this meeting with, with Brother Carter, George is telling me, and this Assembly God pastor came, and uh, you know, most of the people there were from the assemblies, spirit-filled denomination, and he came up to, to Brother Carter, says, Brother Carter, I'm an assembly of God pastor. And I preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I, 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 I teach our people and I see people filled with the Spirit. But I've never experienced it myself. He said, for 23 years I have begged God to baptize me in the Spirit. And George said he, he, he said it was sort of a whine in his voice. Almost at the point of tears. He said, Brother Carter, I thought maybe if I came you could help me. I heard that, that you had a knack for getting people filled with the Spirit. He said, 23 years I've sought God. 23 years I've pleaded with God for this baptism in the Spirit, and I've never experienced it. And George said that Howard Carter looked at him and says, you're not going to get it that way either. 
And then he quoted Isaiah 64 and 5, that the Lord meets the one who rejoices. And when he quoted that verse to him, George told me it was like a light went on in the man's face. He saw it. He said, right there, they're standing in the front of the church, up, up in this area. He fell to his knees and repented for his unbelief, lifted his hands and just started to rejoice and thank God. And he said, within five minutes, rejoicing there on his knees, he had a mighty baptism in the Holy Spirit. He's weeping. He's speaking in other tongues. And then George turned to me, and this is what he said. He said, Bayless, more was accomplished in five minutes of rejoicing than in 23 years of pleading and crying. God meets the one who rejoices. Somebody says, Pastor, how can I rejoice when there's so many hard things going on in my life? You don't know what I've been experiencing in my family or with my body or with my finances. How can I rejoice? Let me give you three thoughts, three simple things. Number one, you need to realize that joy is not dependent upon circumstances. You can rejoice regardless of what you're going through. You know, it's an interesting thing to note that as you go through the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, much of the time, joy is listed together with troubles, temptations, and trials. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, 4, I'm exceedingly joyful in all of our tribulations. In the next chapter, 2 Corinthians 8, he talks about the Macedonians. They were in a great trial due to financial lack. He said, but their joy was overflowing. They had abundant joy. You know this, James 1 and 2, it says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Jesus said in Luke 6, when men hate you, when they exclude you and cast your name out as evil for the Son of Man's sake, Rejoice on that day and leap for joy. All right, why rejoice when you're in a trial? Why rejoice when you're surrounded by enemies or why you're facing, you know, when you're facing lack? Well, number one, because you know, you, you need what joy brings. It brings the life of God on the scene. And my friend, when the life of God and a need collide, the need is met. You should rejoice when you're in the middle of a trial. I heard a story once. Sister came to a prayer meeting at church and they were taking prayer requests and she said, we need to pray for Sister Agnes. She's going through a mighty terrible trial. Somebody said, well, what kind of a trial is it? She said, well, I don't rightly know. They said, well, how can we pray? How do you know she's going through a trial at all? She says, well, Sister Agnes lives in the apartment above me in my apartment complex. And whenever she's tribulating, she starts to shouting and praising God. Whenever she's got a problem, she starts rejoicing. And last night, she was marching around upstairs and shouting and praising God at the top of her lungs. So I know something really bad must be going on. Well, actually, Sister Agnes learned a secret. We're joyful in all of our tribulations. It doesn't matter what I'm experiencing. It doesn't matter what's happened. It doesn't matter what's going on. You know, years ago, my, my wife and I were having some work done 
on the house, and it was some pretty major stuff, and I made the mistake of doing it on a handshake. The guy was a, a brother in the Lord, highly recommended to me by a close friend, and so we sat down and talked about everything that needed to be done. I said, this is how much money we have. Can all this be done? He said, absolutely. I shook hands with him. Well, I noticed he was taking a lot of really big draws on, on that amount of money. And uh, so I, I came to him. I said, look, I, I, it doesn't look like the money's going to last. We're going to get through all this. He says, well, I made a mistake. I said, really? He said, yeah. And so I ended up having to take back like half of the project myself. And that's, that's not my wheelhouse. So, I mean, I, I did all of the flooring and I did all of the windows and all of the, the painting and all of the counters and the stairs. And I, I mean, I had to do all of that my stuff myself. And it was, it was difficult. And then, you know, I, I went on an overseas trip. I'm really excited. He said, look, we're, we're right on budget. We're going to finish. You're going to get to move in. And I get back. I'm just excited from this trip. And I get off the plane, I come home, and he's waiting for me in my driveway. I go, what's up? He said, I made another mistake. And he just put a, a stack of papers in my hand and drove off without an explanation. And I looked through him, and his mistake was astronomical. And we weren't going to be able to move in the house, and I didn't even have close to the amount of money. Not, not any, just, I didn't see any way it was going to happen. And I'm pretty even-keeled. I don't have ups and downs, just not my personality, but I went into a tailspin. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no idea where that money's going to come from. We had no place to stay. It was just, just trouble upon trouble. It just seemed impossible to me. And I mean, I didn't even speak to my wife for two days. She'd talk to me and I wouldn't answer. I'd just walk by. I was in, I was in such a tailspin. And I remember on the second day, I went out and sat on the curb in front of my house. I said, God, what am I going to do? In front of the unfinished house, God, what am I going to do? And I felt like the Lord said, why don't you do what you preach? Oh, I really didn't want to hear that. But I knew it was true. I said, okay. So I started walking down in the street in front of my house. I lifted my hands and just started rejoicing and praising God. And it felt like I had lead weights on my arms. And there was no inspiration to it whatsoever. And I just got louder and louder. And I know I did because later on, one of the neighbors um, said something to me about it. <clears throat> and I don't know, it was maybe five minutes, maybe 10 minutes in, something just sort of hit me. And all that depression broke off of me. It was the life of God. And I, saw, I didn't know how it was going to work out, but I knew it was going to work out. And I praised God for maybe 20 minutes. I started talking to my wife again. And you know what? Within a few days, God worked an absolute miracle that I never saw coming and got us through that in style. Rejoice when you're going through tough times. Re again, recognize, remember that, that joy is not dependent on circumstances. Number two, secondly, you need to look for a reason to rejoice in everything. Look for a reason to rejoice in everything. I want to read to you from Philippians chapter 1. Listen carefully to these verses. Beginning in verse 12, Paul said, And I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that's happened to me has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including all the soldiers in the palace guard, 
knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. Or I don't want to stop right there. He is in prison. He is wearing chains. He says, man, this has turned out. The gospel has gone further. The palace guard, that literally means the praetorian guard. They were the most elite troops in Rome. 10,000 praetorian guards were one of the most influential bodies in all of Rome, politically and in the military. And he said, they've all heard about Jesus. And then he goes on, verse 14, and because of my imprisonment, many of the Christians here have gained confidence and become more bold in telling others about Christ. Some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know the Lord brought me here to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But whether or not their motives are pure, the fact remains that the message about Christ is being preached. So I rejoice and will continue to rejoice. He said, look, a lot of these guys, because I'm out of the way, they just want to be in the limelight. It's all about them. Their motives are impure. They're not preaching because they want to see people saved. They're not preaching because they love Jesus. They're preaching because they want to be in the spotlight. And they're preaching because they think... Because I know what's going on, and they just want to add affliction to my present situation. He said, but hey, at least Christ is being preached. Even if their hearts aren't right, the message is still going out. He said, and I'm going to rejoice about that. He found something to rejoice in. You know, in Acts chapter 5, the disciples were beaten and threatened not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And it says they went their way rejoicing, not for the beating, not because they were threatened, but they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. They rejoiced because they were identified with Christ. You can always find something to rejoice about. You know, our daughter, when she was a teenager, had borrowed her mother's car, and Jen had a fairly new car at the time. We got a phone call. She'd been in an accident. She was driving down Pacific Coast Highway and some kids had ridden their bike out uh, you know, against a, a, a red light right in the middle of traffic. The car in front of her had to slam on the brakes so as not to hit the kids and our daughter plowed into the back of their car. So I get this call and Jan and I jump in the car. We drive down there to the Coast Highway. There's cops there, the lights are going. And, our daughter, as soon as she saw me, she burst into tears and, and came over and just, just clung to me. She was okay. A bit traumatized. But you know what? I found some things to rejoice about. We weren't happy that my wife's car was absolutely totaled. The car she hit was ruined. But you know what? Rebecca, our daughter, was not hurt. I could rejoice about that. The people in the car in front of her were not hurt. The foolish kids that rode their bikes out in traffic were not hurt. And we had insurance <clears throat> that covered the cost of replacing the car. Now, I wasn't happy having to wait, you know, to, to get a new car for my wife. I wasn't happy be, because my daughter was a bit traumatized. But there was a lot in that situation I could rejoice about. 
And you know what? On your worst day, you're still going to heaven. You can rejoice because your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There's always something to rejoice about. And you need to look for it and engage in rejoicing. All right, thirdly, determine that you are going to rejoice. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no fruit, food, though the flock may be cut off from the herd, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Notice, yet I will rejoice. Yet I will, as an act of my will, I'm choosing to rejoice. I'm deciding to rejoice. And for these people living in an agrarian society, what he describes is happening. Their olive has failed. Their vineyards have failed. There's, there's no fruit on the fruit trees. There's no cattle. There's no sheep. Not just their wealth, but their very sustenance was measured in those things. It was absolutely catastrophic. It was the absolute worst situation that you could describe for people living in a rural community. But he said, yet I will rejoice. Right now you may have unpaid bills. You may have wayward children. You may have a lingering illness. You don't rejoice for those things, but you can rejoice in those things. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice because God has an answer. Rejoice because you're not locked in. Rejoice because when you do, the life of God, the zoe, the transforming life of God is released. And again, my friend, when the need and the life of God collide, the need is met. His life changes things. The need will give way. In fact, the very next verse here in Habakkuk gives us the result of this person choosing to rejoice in the midst of calamity. Verse 19, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high hills to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. First, the Lord God is my strength. It brings the strength of God on the scene. Secondly, he makes my feet like deer's feet. He will help me navigate. He gives me wisdom to navigate the difficult situation. Just like a deer walking a mountain trail. Thirdly, he'll make me walk on my high hills. He lifts me above the catastrophe when I rejoice. He gives me, it brings strength. It brings wisdom. It lifts me up. And then finally, he said to the chief musician, it's to be put to music for the whole congregation to say, in other words, this truth is for everyone. This isn't just for the preacher. This isn't just for Pastor Zach and Pastor Ashley. It's not just for Pastor Gary and Pastor Anna, for some, you know, leader. This is for everyone. It's for the whole congregation needs to pick up this truth and needs to sing about it. My friend, it's for you. Listen, it's not a coincidence you're here today. I'm telling you, it's not. I may not know your struggles, the inward things you're going through or the outward things you're facing, but God does. And he wants to put a key in your hand. I'm telling you, the life of God can change everything that is distressing you. It can change things spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally. 
And the way we draw that life of God up out of the spring is with the bucket of joy. You know, Peter wrote about, he used this metaphor, you know, clouds that don't give rain and wells without water. And he's talking about religion that promises refreshing but gives none. He's talking about people that, that claimed that they knew God but really didn't know him at all. Throughout my life, as early back as I can remember, I thought about God. When I was a little boy, my mother was for sure certain I was going to become a priest because I asked her questions about God, even as a, as, as a, a toddler. You know, three years old, I was asking questions about God. Well, <clears throat> that search led me to a lot of wrong places. But one of the, the motivations was I was looking for answers, and there was a frustration because I didn't find any answers. No one ever talked to me about Jesus. I never heard the gospel. I didn't know Jesus was alive. I got involved in a lot of occult stuff. I got involved in a lot of Eastern religions. Um, started doing a lot of drugs at a very young age and eventually became addicted to drugs and got involved with, with people that were practicing witchcraft and all sorts of stuff, just looking for answers. And my life was pretty messed up. I had pretty much destroyed relationship with my family. My father had disowned me. My mother had cried herself to sleep every night. I left home as a teenager. They, I didn't see my family for probably four years. And mom just knew that I was hanging around with dangerous people and I was in trouble somewhere if I was still alive. But I was looking for answers. I think if people would have seen my exterior and all of the substance abuse and everything that was going on, they never would have guessed that inside there was a heart that was genuinely, genuinely crying out to find God. And one day a 12-year-old boy came up to me in a park and told me about Jesus. My friend, only Jesus can satisfy. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, eh? He's not a well without water. He's the only way into a relationship with God. And it's not about religion. It's not about ritual. It's not about ceremony. It's about having a walking, talking, living, breathing relationship with God. Now, we are grateful for all of the, the, the benefits that come, you know, from, from this eternal life we, we receive. Pastor Zach was talking about it. All of the victories we experience are born out of that victory that Christ won for us on the cross. But that's where it starts. That's where it begins. And I sat in a little street mission in a place called Medford, Oregon, totally messed up on drugs. I'd been an alcoholic for years. I hadn't been sober for years and I heard the gospel. Long story how I ended up there. But they gave an invitation that night. I was the only one that responded. It was just me. I went forward sobbing like a child. And uh, I still remember this guy, big long beard, big barrel-chested guy, just grabbed me and held me while I sobbed into his chest for about 15 minutes. And that night I gave my life to Jesus. And I'm telling you, I know it's real. He put a spring of living water in me. Something had changed 
from the inside out. Jesus said, the one that believes in me has eternal life. And again, not about religion, not about ceremony, not about rules and regulations. It's about walking and talking with God. And maybe you're here today and you've never embraced Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. I want to give you an opportunity to do it. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead. And if you confess him with your mouth as your Lord, your boss, that God brings you into this relationship called salvation. And he will put that spring of water within you. And then you can begin to draw upon it. You might be a, a backslider here today. Maybe a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter. You've had an encounter with the king. You know the story's true. But if Jesus returned today, you wouldn't be ready to meet him. You can be ready. Prodigal son, time to come home. Prodigal daughter, time to come home. The father's not mad, but you need to come. I'm going to ask you to do something, and I want you to close your eyes. But I want everybody to just put a hand on your heart. You need to know that God sees you right now. Again, not a coincidence that you're here. God sees you. I want to give you some words to pray. That's all I can do, though. But if you'll tie a sincere heart around these words, if you're backslidden, if you'll speak these words to God from a sincere heart, He will hear you and He will cleanse you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you'll sincerely speak these words to God from your heart, He'll change you. He'll put that well, that spring of living water in you, bring you into a relationship. Are you ready? No one else can do this for you. God has no grandchildren, only children. Your daddy might be a preacher. You may come from a long line of preachers, but you need to encounter Christ yourself. But you pray after me, say, oh God. Say it out loud, say, oh God. I come to you right now. With all of my heart, I believe. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for me. Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you would give your life for me. I believe you were raised from the dead. And I ask you now, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. And now from this moment forward, wherever you lead me, I will go. All I am and all I have, I put in your hands, Jesus. Amen. Let's go ahead and look up this way. In a, just a couple of minutes, I'm going to invite Pastor Zach to come up. And we, we want to act on the word today. You know, there's a story in Genesis 26 that Isaac came to the wells that his father Abraham had dug, but the Philistines had filled the wells with earth and debris. They were stopped up. And you might feel that way. You know you're saved. You, you honestly do trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you feel somehow the enemies blocked the well. I don't know, maybe it's you've allowed unforgiveness, or bitterness to get in there. But somehow that the enemy's work has, has stopped up that well.
And you know it's there, but you also know it's not been flowing. Well, you know what? In the end of that story in Genesis 26, they dislodged all of the enemy's work. And the water began to flow in those wells once again. There's a, an interesting story, almost anecdotal, in Numbers 21. God said, gather the people, and God promised to give them water. And the 70 elders of Israel, they took their rods and they began to dig in the soft sand there in the desert. And they basically dug a well, these 70 elders, with their staves or with their rods. But then something happened before God gave them the water in the well they dug. They had to sing to it. And they said, sing, O Israel. And these are the words they sang. You can read it in Numbers 21. They sang, spring up, O well. And then the water began to bubble and gush up. A long time ago, we used to sing a song in church. I've got a river of life flowing out of me, makes the lame to walk and the blind to see, opens prison doors, set the captives free. I got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up, O well, within my soul. Spring up, O well, and make me whole. Spring up, O well, and give to me that life abundantly. Well, that song is actually put together from the story in Numbers 21 and Jesus' words to the woman at the well. And yes, they are connected. And we're going to spend just a few minutes singing and rejoicing. And I want to tell you, do it by faith if you have to. Somebody says, well, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I just don't feel like it. It's not hypocritical. It's an act of faith. You know, my wife, I married, married a farm girl from Wisconsin. Her daddy was a dairy farmer, a couple of her brothers dairy farmers. And I remember the first time I went out to meet him, drove way out in the countryside and this beautiful little farm and they had, to me it looked like a quarter of an acre was their vegetable garden. And we're gonna go out and I'm gonna pick some ripe tomatoes for my wife and being the gentleman that I am, there's a little wire fence around it so I grab it to push it down so Janet can step over. Her brothers failed to tell me it was an electric fence. <clears throat> I don't think I've ever lived that one down. But on that farm, there was an old red hand pump. And it pumped by hand to get water out of this really deep well. And some of you will know this. With some of those pumps, as well as other kinds, you've got to prime the pump. You've got to put water in before it'll give water out. You've got to put water in so it builds up the pressure. Now, I'm not going to stand there and say, well, it would be hypocritical for me to pour water in that pump. It's supposed to give water to me. No, it's not. And some of you just need to prime the pump. It's not hypocritical for you to lift your hands when you don't feel like it. It's not hypocritical for you to rejoice when things are going wrong. It's not hypocritical if, if you are not feeling it at all. It's just priming the pump. You know, it says in the book of Psalms that the voice of rejoicing and singing is heard in the tents of the righteous. It's not the voice of complaining, not the voice of woe, but the voice of rejoicing is found in the tents of the righteous. And you know, it's interesting. In that story I just referenced in Numbers 21 where it said, Sing, Israel. And they sang, Spring up a well. 
The word sing there literally means to shout and to sing joyfully. It's the same word used when they sang and shouted after Goliath was defeated by David, after he was killed, and all of the Philistine army was routed. And the women began to rejoice and sing, David has killed his, I mean, Saul's killed his thousands, David has tens of thousands. They're out in the street rejoicing and singing and shouting. That's the same word that God uses when he told his people, you want the water to come up out of this well? Then sing, shout and rejoice with joy. And my friend, if you have to do it by faith, do it. And my prayer, my prayer is that every one of you gets wet today. Some of you know you came in here, you believe the Bible, you've given your life to Christ, but that well is like there's debris. Somehow the enemy has thrown a bunch of debris in there and you have been as dry as a desert. There's been no life. There's been no sense of the presence of God. I believe we're going to get a breakthrough as we rejoice. There is a well in you of the life of God. It can heal your body. It can bring peace to your mind. It can change circumstances. It can change situations. Pastor Zach, come on up. Amen. How many of you received that this morning? I want to invite everybody right now, if you would just stand to your feet with us today. We're just going to stand up. We're going to take a couple of moments. I know many of you might be looking at your watches. Don't worry, we've made time for this, okay? We're on time this morning. Right now in this moment, I think there's a couple different things. I know each one of you right now, the Spirit of God is speaking to you in specific ways of how this message applies to you today and how it is that you're to respond. There are people across this room that made a decision to follow Jesus for the very first time or maybe recommitted your life today, and this is your moment to rejoice and thank God for what he has done in your life. There are others of you that are carrying the weight of something that's going on, and joy wasn't at the forefront of your vision today when you came in, but right now, this is a moment where we can rejoice. This is our faith. This is our faith. We step out and we thank God. We praise him and we thank him because he knows exactly what we need, and he's going to take us where he wants us to go. Amen. So right now in this moment, I just want to ask you to prepare your hearts one more time. We're going to praise God for just a couple of moments, and we're going to respond to this. Father, we thank you. We thank you for all that you have done. We thank you for who you are. God, you are good. You are loving. You are kind. You are gracious. You are merciful. And we thank you that you found us when we could not bridge that gap to come to you. Our heart of faith this morning is to respond, and even if the circumstances around us Make us feel like we shouldn't do this. Our heart right now, our faith right now is to step out and say thank you. We rejoice in our salvation. We rejoice in the victory that you've provided. And today, again, our faith is to sing to you and to praise you and to thank you for what you have done in our life and for what you are going to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.
this is our posture today. We choose praise. We choose to rejoice. Even if we don't have our answer yet, we choose to rejoice that the answer is coming. Even if we're troubled, we choose to rejoice that you are with us 
no matter what the path might look like. God, even if we have questions, we choose to rejoice because we know that answers are on the way. Even if we're frustrated, even if we're disappointed, even if we're disappointed and we've been hurt, we choose to rejoice because we know that you are with us. God, it's our faith today. It's our, our choice, our response to look to you today and say thank you for all that you've done for us. doesn't matter what's going on around us. We choose to stay close to you and rejoice because the victory is ours. And we honor you and thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, can we thank Pastor Bayless one more time for that message this morning? All right, listen, very last thing. We're going to be done here in just one moment, but this is very important. So please, out of respect for everybody in this room who may have made a decision to give their life to Christ today, I want to just tell you one very important thing. If you made a decision to give your life to Christ, committed yourself to Christ today, or you recommitted your life to him, listen, there is no better decision you could ever make in life than to do that today. So congratulations and good on you. Well done for making that decision today. But listen. We want to help you start your walk of faith and this journey of faith, okay? Because it's so much better not to do it alone, but to come around a community of people that want to do this with you. I just want to invite you to come and get a free gift from us. It's called The Next Seven Days. It's a small book, simple reading that will help you get started in your walk with God. There's two different ways that you can get it. As soon as service is over, walk up to one of our prayer teams. They're going to be right down here on the side walls of the floor. Just walk up to one of the prayer teams. Let them know you made a decision. You want to get the book. They'll be there to help you, to encourage you, to pray with you if you need prayer. But if you don't need anything else, they'll just give you the book and you can go. We just want to help you start your walk with God. If you need to go quickly at the end of service, stop by the next seven days desk. It's right between the glass doors before you exit the building. We just want to help you start your walk with God. If there is anybody here in the house, you need someone to stand with you, to agree with you, and to pray with you, that's why our prayer teams are here, okay? Come and see one of our prayer teams. They are there to pray with you and to encourage you, all right? And if you're watching online, you can just click on the link right there in your browser and we'll connect with you and get you the next seven days if you made a decision to follow Christ because we are so glad that you did that. And everybody here that's been walking with God for a little bit or a very long time, can we just put our hands together and welcome new people into the family of God today? Awesome. Well, God bless you. I hope you've enjoyed being in God's house today. Choose to rejoice no matter what things might look like. We love you. Have an awesome Sunday and a great week. We will see you soon in the house of God. God bless you.